Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined today, this week, by Rob Pozzola, professional sports better. Um, I don't know. Are we are we friends? Are we acquaintances? We've we've met multiple times. So for most people on Twitter, that's like uh, a blood brothers, basically. Yeah, I mean, we're at least acquaintances. I'll, I'll put it that way. But um, yeah, I think we met at Sloan uh, probably three or four years ago, something around there, and run into each other every year. Um, I, I like your Twitter stuff as well. Um, you're you're a pretty good follow. So uh, maybe we don't interact um, at, very often. Uh, but definitely familiar with uh, a lot of your stuff, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and right back at you. And I think we'll talk a little bit today. You know, I want to always inspect people and as far as what their process is. And, you know, I got into a little bit of conversation with a uh, mutual acquaintance or mutual friend for you, maybe acquaintance for me, Jeff Ma on on Rufus and his and his podcast bet the process about his question posed to me was kind of was of the effect of if you're not betting, then what value do you have to, to, to better. So we, we can talk about that a little bit more. Um, I also want to talk about the slate for this week, and then we'll see if we can get into uh, some peripheral stuff, maybe some election stuff, although I, I think we would probably, by the time this comes out, you know, I don't want to jinx any, anything, anything that's happening there. But um, maybe I'll just jump straight into that first. So I know that you were very kind, and you sent something out on Twitter, I don't know how long ago it was, it may have been a year ago, um, saying that I was one of the people you were following, and you were, you, were, you were becoming positive, you were turning over a leaf, I'm not sure how many times that leaf has flipped um, since, since then, but you're turning over this leaf to be positive, Rob, and you mentioned that you were following me on there, so I, I, as, as far as expecting into your process, you're probably not as purely data-driven and... Uh, fixated on that sort of stuff as someone like Rufus is, who was on the podcast and described his philosophy. So what sort of nuggets are you able to pull out, not only for people like me who don't bet, but just, just throughout different informational sources to help you in your betting process? Yeah, so I, I'm definitely, I'm data-driven, first and foremost, but I, I don't find analytics to be the be-all and end-all. Um, so a guy like Rufus, for example, will make a raw number on a game and he's just going to go out and bet it regardless. Right. Uh, whereas right. I have more of a subjective opinion after the fact. Uh, and also what I like to do is compare to n- numbers that my current model is spitting out to m- maybe previous models as well to see if there are big differences and then kind of investigate why. Um, but there is a subjective level to what I do, um, at least over the course of the past couple of years. And I never used to be that way, but I used to find that when I add the eye test or things that just do not smell right to me with the output of a model um, into my process, I was getting better results in general. And I was tracking this stuff um, like basically uh, plays that I wasn't making as an output of my model, um, which I subjectively chose not to bet because I felt like there was something that I was missing. Um, And what I particularly found was this was happening at the extremes a lot. So I could never get the best NFL teams to be as good as the market was making them uh, and the worst to be as bad as the market was making them. And then you go through an offseason of NFL and I'm looking back at against the spread records for years and the best teams in the league generally have a positive against the spread record, whereas the worst teams generally have a poor one. Um, And I just made a subjective decision that I'm probably going to just stop betting on these bad teams regularly um, and it worked out for me. So it starts with a data, with the data driven analysis. I have a, a raw number for every game. Um, it's an output of playing both teams head to head. So I don't actually do like power rate. I, I can tell you, um, a team's power rating versus a league average team, for example, but I'm not just using ratings to generate my spreads on games. It's actually playing them head to head so that I can see how a strength of a team might play into a team's weakness or something like that. But once I get that raw number, I'm then taking the subjective approach to, okay, this makes sense to me. This makes sense to me. This might not. I'm going to investigate why that's happening. Um, and I may or may not end up betting that. Now, you know, 2020 has been a little bit different. Um, not only COVID opt-outs, um, you know, I haven't tracked it exactly, but presumably there's been more injuries than usual, all that sort of stuff coming in. Um, but even going back, you mentioned you've been you've been looking at this more in prior years. Do you think anything has changed um, throughout the last few years? Or do you think if you would have implemented this updated process of 
you know, quantifying and then adjusting, that would have been something that also would have been successful in the past. I guess there's anything about the NFL that makes it more successful now, especially when more and more people are betting based upon quantified models. So does that, you know, can, can that whittle away the advantage that you would get off of doing that pure of a system? Yeah, this one's always an interesting one. And um, there's better better data available nowadays, for one, but everyone has access to that data, right? I, I don't think that there's data sets that exist in the NFL right now. At least I don't know of proprietary ones that exist that are going to blow away the public numbers that we're using. Um, if they do, if there are, then that person probably has a pretty significant advantage in the NFL market. Um, data's changed. I've always felt that my, my strength, I'm not, I'm not great at anything. I'm not a specialist. I mean, I didn't graduate university. I did take statistics and computer science in university. I would be a horrible programmer. Uh, as a statistician, I'm probably on a low level. I, I have very broad knowledge, but I'm very good at problem solving and applying uh, logic to sports. And that's where I think my advantage is. So you give me a data set that you give someone else or give a hundred people. And I would consider myself to be in like the 95th percentile of being able to apply that into some model and get outputs, uh, proper outputs based off that. So that's where I think my advantage is. Most of that has come from just honestly Googling things for years and just learning as much as I can uh, based off the problem that presented itself in front of me. Um, But this year is, I mean, the NFL is, is changing. Um, I'm not necessarily sure though, if, like if I apply my process to two or three years ago, I think I would be just as fine, if not better. I think it's getting a little bit more competitive nowadays, but uh, I think my current process maybe wouldn't have existed three years ago because we don't have the data or I wouldn't have the data to use. But um, I, I, I just think aside from the fact that Teams are getting smarter. They're passing the ball a little bit more like the game is evolving. I just don't really think that would have would affect my model or the outputs of the model much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on a data side, presumably somebody has some tracking data out there that you know, if they're supposed to have it or not. Um, but I don't know if they would get it like on an updated weekly basis or something like that, if there are any sort of leaks like that going on. But the ability to not only be able to to use that data like the then you're then you're getting into a little bit of higher level of your ability for programming and 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 being able to just process all this data and then drive a meaningful insight and then have it be timely and impactful and then have it be something that's not reflected in the, in the line so yeah i i don't think I guess this focus on data and always going to the next data source, it's probably like that that bit of unique data that you can get. It's really going to be so marginal that the amount of time and effort that you would put into it really wouldn't be worth it anyway. It could cause a lot of noise as well and headaches. Just yeah. in general. Like I, I remember moving from um, moving to StatCast data for Major League Baseball, which I thought was, I mean, oh, this is available. Probably not a lot of people are using it right now, but it, it did create a lot of headaches for me. Um, and I actually kind of fell in love with it out of love with baseball just because it became too much data to absorb for me. And the day-to-day grind just became uh, way too much. So there are pros and cons, but obviously like, yeah, the the data sets will evolve. What we have now is not what it was three years ago, five years ago. Um, And I've been lucky that I've been pretty consistent in winning at the NFL, but a lot of that has just been continuously adapting year to year uh, and recognizing where the model has its limitations and just trying to figure out, how, how do I go forwards here and make this as successful as possible? Because it is, I mean, the limits are high on NFL. It is a pretty um, tough market with tough competition. So you have to do whatever you can to, to keep ahead. Now, okay, let's, let's focus again on, on 2020. Has there been anything that's helped you be successful this year that from a macro perspective that you believe you either were quicker to recognize, maybe recognize when others didn't recognize or integrated into your process where, I mean, for instance, like the scoring thing that's going on. I could see someone who's a quant saying, well, it's only week one. You know, we don't know. We have this trailing data. There's you know, there's a lot of noise. And then week two saying, well, we're getting a little bit. And, and, and like by the time that you catch, it takes you too long to catch up or something like that. So, I mean, that's just an example of an idea. But is there is there that or anything else that you've seen this year? Well, that's definitely one. Like, I, I wish I... Uh, would bet on myself a little bit more than I do, uh, to be completely honest with you, because that was something that I noticed right away. And I I had a pretty strong feeling that the scoring was going to continue the way that it was 
when you looked at the reasons for scoring being up in general. Um, but I didn't capitalize that on, on that as much as I should have. Um, I was just reluctant to pull the trigger on all these overs on a weekly basis. There's just something about betting the NFL for a decade and uh, realizing, you know, that the over more often than not is, uh, is not the, sh the sharpest play. Uh, but I mean, that was one thing that I recognized home field advantage was another thing very early on for me that I was able to recognize that, I mean, we're not looking at anywhere close to the home field advantage and, and this has been diminishing for years now. It's not just something that's abruptly started this year. Uh, but there's pretty much no home field advantage in the league right now that could change as we start to see fans in attendance. Um, and that could you know, have some substantial impact, but I, I doubt it going forwards. So those are definitely the things that stand out uh, to me right away. But uh, unfortunately, like uh, if I'm being honest, uh, I didn't capitalize on that. I still think totals are too low in the NFL. Uh, you look at last week, uh, four or five games just impacted heavily by heavy winds and, and weather. Uh, we still saw scoring, which was higher than we would have seen uh, in a standard week last season as well. So I still think totals are a tad low, but um, if I could go back, I would have pressed on that a lot more than I, I ended up doing. Now, do you have, I mean, one of the things I've wondered about scoring is, so we have um, changes in no no crowd noise or limited crowd noise or fake crowd noise in, in, in a lot of places. So there's that, there's the penalty angle, right? Um, but also pre-snap penalties are down too. So uh, that that's probably a crowd noise sort of thing. There's an angle of perhaps, I don't know. I, I've been thinking about these things of like, maybe players are, are um, executing better because they're like not going out and doing stuff. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they're just sitting around the house all day long. Um, uh, if they are, you know, not enough clearly, if you see these COVID uh, things that are, that are coming out. So there's that angle to it. But I've also wondered about like just, the, the quality of play and specifically the quality of play at quarterback, I feel like the the floor is maybe a bit higher than it has been or just the, just the range, like the, the, the breadth of, of quality that you're seeing across the league at the quarterback position may be higher this year. And that might be part of it, too. So I agree with that, but I don't necessarily think it's just a product of quarterbacks being better. I think it's a product of offensive coordinators calling better games in general. Um, so if you if you look at, you know, first and ten runs second and, and long runs you see them down quite a bit year over year so so coordinators are getting smarter about passing the ball on early downs which is affecting quarterback play because it's putting them in better positions to succeed on second and third down and things of that nature um, I think teams are being coached differently in general um, one thing I particularly noticed this year and this is something that like maybe a regular model doesn't pick up but when you're watching as many NFL games as I do um, especially the offensive pass interference, the pick plays, so to speak. You see a lot of receivers really selling the fact that they're running a route now instead of just blatantly picking another player like you would have seen in years past. Um, so that's going to affect that's going to affect your offense and your quarterback play because he's thrown to a lot more wide open receivers off of pick plays. Um, so there's a number of things that contributed to it. It could just be general quarterback play, but overall, I think teams are using analytics more in their decision-making and it's creating more offense in the league. And we're seeing that. And there's a number of, there's a number of factors that are, are linked. Like crowd noise is probably linked to a lack of penalties in general on, you know, false start penalties, things of that nature. And a lot of these things go hand in hand. Uh, and probably there's this happy medium between quarterback play improving and, and just the general play calling improving. But I, I don't think that it's just the quarterbacks alone have gotten better. Right. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Like you can't necessarily separate the you can't, within the results. You can't necessarily separate this is a talent thing versus this is giving uh, equally talented quarterbacks easier plays to, to, to execute. So I definitely agree. I mean, play actions up, uh, motions up. You talk about the pick plays. It just seems anecdotally like every single third and less than five or goal and less than five has some sort of pick in it it's almost like it's a given at this point so yeah I, I think those are those are all really really great points there do you think there's anything to I mean another thing I've thought about a little bit is this college to pro like they're we, we talk about you know the Andy Reeds of the world and other people or they're kind of picked up 
started picking up a lot of what the college is doing. I'm wondering if maybe there's a tipping point there, too. I mean, we see Joe Brady coming in. I mean, he's an example, clearly, of someone coming straight over from college to pro in Carolina. But I'm also wondering if this is like... If, if there's a stepping, if there's a step effect of the offense takes a step and the defense is, we're just like the offense is maybe one or two steps ahead of the defense now and what they've been able to integrate from these different concepts at this point. Yeah, I, I, there's 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 so many hi- different hypotheses that I have. I mean, one of it, there, there was no training camp this year in the NFL. Either. Right. I, I, I don't know if that affects the offense or defense in the same manner. Uh, if it's an advantage to the offense, maybe it's not. Maybe scoring could be even higher um, if there was the training camps and the offense got to work together. So there's so many factors that we're in, a, we're in a year where things are just completely different. Uh, and there's a, a number of reasons that we could see all these things happening. The college to pro one is not something I ever considered, but there, there could be some validity to that as well. Um, but for, I cannot give you the definitive reason why there's scoring is up the way it is. I know that there's a number of contributing factors uh, and I, I don't think it, there needs to be a definitive reason. I think you can make a lot of educated guesses and say, this seems to be the case. It's very likely to continue based off what I've seen. So like, I, I don't think teams are just going to revert to the play calling that we saw last year um, with the exception of some teams like the Detroit lions or, you know, who love to run on first down and second down and things of that nature. They just haven't adapted to the new NFL, but you, you would assume that a lot of the trends that you're seeing right now are just, things that will continue going forwards. And I think that's where a lot of people get into trouble. And this happened probably with the totals early on in the year, um, where if you're modeling, there's just this expectation that they're going to regress to the mean. And I don't necessarily think that's a reality in a lot of these cases. And the NFL is particularly difficult because you have such a small sample of games in general um, relative to other leagues where they're playing on a daily basis. So yeah, it's very difficult to watch three weeks worth of games and say, this is going to continue going forwards, but at some time you have to just apply logic to what you're seeing and say, I think this is more likely to continue this way going forwards than to regress to what we've traditionally seen. And that's something for me that's important. And I think that's kind of where I gain an edge um, historically, especially early on in the year, uh, whereas maybe a more traditional model is, is struggling in that, in that sense. Okay. Well, on a, I mean, I'll call it a related topic. I I think there's some thematic similarities here that I've heard you talk about the fact that you don't have um, priors, priors throughout the season. You know, everyone has an idea of how good a team or a quarterback in particular may be. And then you're not going to judge them. I mean, just to be very simplistic, you're not going to judge them on week two, just strictly based upon what happened in week one. Right. So you're going to have something bad. Now, I remember you saying, I don't remember what week it was. It was pretty early, though. It was maybe week five or something like that, that you did not really incorporate priors into your process anymore i mean i don't think it's the same thing as what we're talking about but i think there are some similarities which is a quicker update um of uh but this is in a more of a in a strictly modeling capacity um updating more quickly based upon what what you're seeing uh let's talk about that a little bit so was i right about the 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 date is this is this a newer thing that you've also transitioned to or has this always been the case that you that you leave priors by the wayside fairly early in the season i I transitioned to this when i started building um doing things at a player level. So I used to do things at a team level. And then a couple of years ago, I, I transitioned to a player level model. And um, it was just something that I, I felt was necessary. I, I did a lot of back testing on this. And uh, I, res- I respect the, that priors can work in some scenarios. I, I just think in the NFL, especially, there's so many things that can go wrong when you're accounting for using priors, uh, injuries in the previous year, there's just a number of things where I feel like we have a generally generally good sense of what teams are six, seven, eight weeks into the season. I really do. Um, whereas I'm not really looking to go back to last year and say, wow, this player, um, you know, is significantly overachieving or underachieving versus last year. And I think he's going to get back to that level. Um, I don't necessarily think that's that that's the case. So um, I'm, I don't have zero priors built into the model right now, but it's very, small it's having a very minimal impact at this point in the season so um yeah i've had very very i've had some big disagreements with people on on this before but um and i i'm gonna mention rufus here not because rufus a very smart better in general but like the, the whole notion of betting the jets every week which he jokes about now um and it's largely <laughs> built off of his fire to in the beginning of the year 
uh, and what he would rated the Jets going into the year. Uh, and it was very similar for me. I had a, a substantial play last week on Pittsburgh against Baltimore. Um, I could never get to that number on Baltimore last week because they, they've not played like an elite team this year. And yes, I thought they were going to be an elite team going into the year, but you look at their EPA per play on offense through how many weeks did we play last week? What seven, I think. I don't even know what week we're in anymore, but they were. Yeah, it was week eight last week. Yeah. Yeah. League average offense. And people just think that they're going to go back all of a sudden to what they were a year ago when so much has changed. I mean, there's been an off season. They've had defenses have had an entire off season to study the Baltimore Ravens offense. Lamar Jackson missed uh, a week of practices one week with what was reported as a knee injury. I have no idea if he's healthy, but there's something going on with the Ravens offense now. And to me, that line just didn't make sense. And for a lot of people, they love the Ravens in that spot because um, they're, they're building in a prior from the beginning of the year where the Ravens were a significantly better team than the Steelers. That's one example of it working in my favor. I'm sure there's examples I can think of where it doesn't work in my favor, but um, I, I think we get to the midway point of the season and we, we have a pretty good understanding of what these teams are. Yeah, it's, it's fine. I was going to, I was going to talk about the Ravens specifically when we were discussing this week's slate, because I feel like that probably is um, maybe not the one team, but one of the, one of the teams when we're talking about, the quarterback specifically in your prior versus what what you may see yeah I know I mean the 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 Saints have kind of had a little bit of a turnaround but they would have been another team probably early in the year although they had a lot of penalty issues on defense so yeah you know I I sorry to interrupt you Kevin that's the thing about the Saints too that people don't realize so like uh, I I like the Saints. I'm generally high on the Saints I think going forward Uh, it has nothing to do with their prior going into the year it's more so that I think that they've been unlucky in the sense that you look at what their their penalty margin has been this season. I guess you can say maybe they're just, you know, Greg Williams has lost his mind and he's coaching up the defense to commit all these penalties. But I think you will see some regression to the mean there, and maybe not to the point where things are 50-50, but they're, they're, it's an insane uh, yardage margin in terms of penalties, and that was largely built up this year. Plus, they've been missing arguably their best player on offense in Michael Thomas, um, and, you know, Emmanuel Sanders being out for them as well. They're still a five and two team. And I know they've played a lot of close games this year, but they've had a lot of things stacked up against them. So for me, I'm generally high on the Saints going forwards, but it has nothing to do with what I've seen from them in previous seasons. It's more so that they will be getting players back and there's probably some positive regression in terms of penalties going forwards for them. Yeah. And, and Drew Brees has not been, not been that bad you know compared to what what some people think and that and what that offense has been i mean i think everyone is assigning that mostly to uh likely offensive player of the year alvin Kamara, but um maybe breeze isn't quite as as washed as as people think well let's get into the slate since we're discussing we've already kind of talked about a couple of the teams we're probably going to discuss anyway here for for week nine so i i reached out to you beforehand and asked you about some games that you wanted to talk about. Maybe I'll, I'll just leave it to you. I don't know if there's a particular matchup that you want to mention. Um, you know, I tried to pull some nuggets out on, on these games and, and see where we may differ in our opinions on them. Yeah. So like this is the second week in a row where the, the line in the Seahawks game doesn't make sense to me at all. Um, so Seahawks at the bills this week, we're seeing most of the market is at two and a half right now uh, approaching three. I like Seattle quite a bit again this week. Uh, I was, heavily on Seattle last week. Didn't really love to see the market moving against me uh, in that game, but uh, ultimately very happy to get the win there. To me, Seattle is a team that is bordering on elite if they're not elite right now. I have Kansas City number one in the league, but I think there's an argument to be made for Seattle number two just by virtue of their offense being so good. And you look at the matchup against Buffalo, this Bills defense, again, if we were going to go back to last year, very good defense. This year has not performed for whatever reason. I can't tell you the exact reason that they haven't specifically, but this is a defense that's 23rd in EPA per play this season, which is actually worse than the Dallas Cowboys defense in EPA per play, if you want to put it into perspective. And not a lot of people would would uh, would expect that. Uh, and in fact, going into this game, the Seahawks have a better EPA per play on defense than the Bills do this season. So Seattle goes in with a better defense this season, getting Jamal Adams back at safety, trading for Carlos Dunlap on the offensive line, uh, sorry, defensive line a week ago, uh, activated Snacks Harrison on the defensive line a week ago, who didn't play last week, but is expected to play this week, which will impact their run defense even more. And I go into this matchup where 
you have this elite offense. I don't, I don't know how the Bills defense is going to stop Russell Wilson. I mean, potentially they put Tredavious White on one of the two receivers, like we saw San Fran do last week with Jason Verrett against uh, Tyler Lockett. And then the other receiver is just going to feast because they have two elite receivers. So I don't know where the Bills get a bunch of stops unless the weather is really poor in Buffalo. It doesn't look like it's going to be the case. I live in Toronto. It's like I don't actually have the Fahrenheit conversion in my head because we deal with Celsius, but it's hot today. Like it's going to be yeah. hot the rest of the week. So you're going to get good weather in Buffalo probably on Sunday. Uh, and I just don't see how these the Bills offense keep, keeps up. And if you look at the Bills season numbers on offense as a whole, you'll see fifth in EPA per play on offense. And you'll be like, well, this offense is humming along. But really, if we look at the last four weeks and we divide the season into two, first four weeks, the Bills were amazing. This powerhouse that couldn't be stopped last four weeks, all of a sudden they can't move the ball, or at least they're moving the ball at a league average rate. And that comes against defenses that aren't particularly good. I mean, I think they've played one top 10 defense in the last four weeks, which is the chiefs and the chiefs. Some people would say are probably not a top 10 defense. So um, yeah, I don't know. I just don't get to this number. Uh, I, I would have made this much higher. So it's going to be the second week in a row where uh, I, I really like the Seahawks. Yeah, no, all of that makes sense. But I'm wondering about let's 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 talk about the Buffalo offense for a little bit because I do think there are some degrees of unsustainability. Um, Josh Allen, as part of his uh, play earlier in the season, um, third down conversions were extremely high for them. Um, where I mean, there are some things where you could say it makes some sense. He can like fight off blitzes. He can scramble. Um, he can keep plays alive, but he hasn't been able to do that as much. I guess maybe if we peek back a few weeks in the past, we, we talked about this not having a prior. I mean, the prior on Allen probably would have been pretty low going into the season, and he was really hot to start the season. So when you're viewing him, maybe, maybe if we can we can rewind and have a little bit of, of hindsight here. Now, is, is it a situation where you would have said, you know, I'm going to ignore the prior more than other people and believe he's good? Or is it a situation where you're, it's not like ignoring anything. It's like I'm going to use my common sense as to who he is. Yeah, I think there's, it's very challenging. He, he's a case that's extremely challenging because I was not high on Josh Allen at all going into the year. Um, yeah. But the numbers were good. Most importantly for me is he really passed the eye test as well. Um, I do like to watch games and investigate games where um, I guess a, either a team or a player is significantly deviated from what I thought they were coming into the year. And in the case of Josh Allen, uh, he significantly deviated. But to me, what I especially noticed in the first three or four weeks of the season was his accuracy was really good. Um, yeah. He wasn't known as a quarterback that was accurate. In fact, there's all sorts of highlight reels you can watch on YouTube, which will make you laugh from last season where he just completely missed deep balls by like 10, 15, 20 yards. Uh, but he wasn't so far this year. And then they came out and they played that game. Um, I think it was against Kansas city where I thought Brian Dayball, uh, their offensive coordinator, who I think has done a really good job this year game plan that game perfectly to start against Kansas city. And Allen just missed so many receivers um, like guys running wide open. Um, so it, it's challenging, but like I, I, I have Allen rated better than I did going into the year, but I would still have him as being roughly an average quarterback right now. And I don't have a strong degree of confidence either way. Uh, based off recency, I lean towards him being closer to last year than what we saw in the first four weeks. But who knows? That game against Kansas City, there's wet weather. Uh, the game against the Jets, they moved the ball very easily, but bogged down in the red zone. I mean, they got 18 points. It, they were just horrible in the red zone. And that's actually been one of the biggest differences with this offense when you look at the first four weeks compared to now is the red zone success rates, uh, especially touchdowns. I think they're at like 40% touchdowns in the red zone over the last four weeks, which is um, significantly lower than the 70% in the first four weeks of the season as well. So um, challenging cases, try to put a number to it. Like I always do. Does it pass the eye test for me? If it does, I'll roll with it. If not, there's a little, some element of subjectivity that goes into it. Yeah, no, it makes sense. But yeah, I do, I do think it's this weird situation where you mentioned how the the Bills haven't really faced any good defenses. At the same time, you know, I, I guess we'll see after a couple of more weeks. But I do think there's some possibility, which I never would have imagined having said this, you know, two, three weeks into the season. I do think there's some possibility that Josh Allen could be underrated in some way because of the fact that they haven't scored a lot of points. 
Um, but he's played pretty well, other than the Kansas City game. I mean, the Kansas City game, he didn't play well. Uh, maybe you could blame it on the weather if you wanted to or, or something like that. But I thought he was good in the Tennessee game until they got down. Like, he was good. Uh, he was good in New, against New Jersey, but you're, like you're saying, they couldn't score. And he was pretty good against New England. I, I'm looking at, like, a success rate versus... Uh, production thing like his success rates were extremely high in all of those games but they just weren't leading to big plays uh, he was he was kind of like grinding the ball down the field and I think that's what defense has been able to do to him is they've said you know what we're just going to make you like convert these third these third downs over and over and over again and that seems to have stymied them somewhat so I, I'd be interested to see if if it's a luck thing it's a fluky thing or whether the defenses have kind of figured out how to suppress him a little bit it's, it's, it might be a combo of both I, I, like I said I think Dayball's done a, a good job this year I've watched a lot of Bills I think he's he's game planned really well. I think he calls a good game. I think Bills fans are kind of fed up now with the results of the past few weeks, and they're calling for more of a running game, which is hilarious to me because um, the passing game has actually largely been effective. And the only time that their runs are really effective is when Josh Allen is running, um, which are off of called passes most of the time. So um, I don't think they're going to switch that anytime soon. It's something to keep an eye on, but I especially – I mean, if they do start to run the ball a little bit more because uh, Allen has been a, less accurate in the past few weeks, I think that's a, a recipe for disaster against Seattle. They shut down San Fran's run game last week. They've been a top 10 run defense all season long. And again, uh, adding a couple strong defensive linemen, I think is only going to help them going forwards as well. So it's interesting to see, but but like whenever you, you get a player that plays on like, I, I wouldn't even say he played on an extreme, like he played extremely well. And I don't think Allen has played bad really at any point this year but you always tend to get these extremes with the way that people uh react nowadays and and more often than not the player finds a level somewhere in the middle uh, and i think that's what we're going to see with josh allen he's not as good as he was the first four weeks the last four weeks they struggled in the red zone there will probably be some improvement there uh, but to ask him to go toe-to-toe and score for score with russell wilson which is you're asking this week the game's not a pick em, but you know two and a half points uh, I just don't think I don't think he's capable right now. Yeah, uh, I think I agree with you there. All right, so let's um, another game that you had mentioned to me was the uh, Ravens Colts. So what's what's your what's your take on this one? Let me just I'm sorry. Let me just give a little background here. So Ravens Colts. I see it now. It looks like it might be Baltimore. Uh, minus two and a half, uh, 47 is the total uh, Colts of the home team. But what are you thinking here? Yeah. So, I mean, it's unfortunate. I, I said, I sent you this lean yesterday, Kevin. And, and since then we've seen the total that's gone from 45 up to 47 this morning, which I wholeheartedly yeah. agree with. And and part of it is the, the atmosphere, like they're playing this game indoors, fast track uh, in the new NFL. I do not think you should see totals in the mid forties in indoor games that are not affected by weather, plain and simple. Uh, and then, yes, I get both of these defenses are good. I get that the Ravens offense has been struggling. I get that the, you know, T.Y. Hilton's banged up for the Colts, but all of that, you know, put into my number, I'm still getting a total that honestly I think should be closer to 48 and a half, 49 points. So I quite like the over here. You add in the fact now that the Ravens are dealing with this COVID situation um, for sure down a, a cornerback this week. Pretty much their entire linebacking core is not practicing this week uh, because they've had contact with the corner, Marlon Humphrey. And I, I, I just, I, I don't see, um, I don't see why this total is where it was earlier in the week. So good to see that the market agrees with me. I also personally just like the Colts in this spot. I mean, I, I somehow trust their offense more now than I do with the Ravens, which seems weird going into the year, but you look at Baltimore 21st EPA per play this year. If you're looking at DVOA, they're 20th offensively. Um, they're still very high in their rushing EPA, but they're struggling in drop back. Um, and particularly because of their receiving core, in my opinion. And that's one thing that stood out to me going into the year where, you know, Marquise Brown and uh, Willie Sneed, Miles Boykin, uh, Chris Moore, uh, Devin Duvernay, like these are not, this is a low end receiving core for a team that was expected to be elite. So ultimately I don't really agree with the price on the game. I would have made this closer to a pick them. And I think you can get the Colts roughly plus plus one twenty in most spots right now on the money line. Uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily an overreaction to last week because I've kind of been down on the Ravens just in general overall, but uh, I don't see much separation between these two teams right now. 
So are you are you buying? I mean, the the Colts' defense, I think, was extremely strong to start the season. Um, has been pretty good since then. I, I don't think I, I think they seem to be a solid unit. But offensively, I'm not quite sure what what to make. I mean, I was probably higher than most on Rivers coming into the year, but now because of some blow up performances in particular, he's been really good. While the 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 running game is has not been good at all. Um, so. Are you buying Philip Rivers, I guess, is what I'm looking at? Because he's a guy who's had some lower success rates, but then has been putting up pretty good EPA numbers, and they've been stringing out some some longer plays, especially like dump-offs and things like that that have ended up being longer plays that I'm not sure if those are sustainable also. Yeah, like, like I, I think Frank Reich's done a great job in there, and in general, just putting Rivers in a position to succeed. I'm buying Rivers in the sense that I think he's capable of producing these performances, but I don't think he's capable of producing like three straight in the playoffs, especially right. going Gain some better defenses so maybe not the Colts as a contender but in this spot you, you know the Ravens are going to blitz, blitz a lot that's just their bread and butter on defense they blitz more than anyone in the league Reich is not an idiot when it turns to in terms of game planning for opposing defenses I think you'll see a lot of Rivers getting the ball out early which he does fairly well and a lot of yards after the catch for for the Colts just in general on the other side of things and why I kind of gravitated towards the over as well. I think it's pretty obvious now that if you're game planning to go up against the Ravens, you're going to do what you can to stop the run and force Lamar to beat you down the field. And I think that's just going to gravitate to to overs in the short term uh, as the Ravens are forced to throw the ball a little bit more. And maybe they're not going to be the most successful offense in throwing the ball downfield, but they're not going to be dead last in the league either. They're going to hit some plays here and there, and they have a ability to put up some big plays. So, um, yeah, I, I see this being indoor, fast track, 27-24 type of game that in the Colts' favor. Um, so I, I do have a – I mean, they're not huge, uh, strong leans at this point, and I think the market has come in on Indy and the over here, uh, but I, I still do like them at the current prices. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, Rivers, he, he might be good for like a pick six or something, so that's good for the over too, well, you know. <laughs> that's the thing. Like turnovers now too, like – uh, Lamar Jackson was baited. Yeah, he's yeah he's turning over a lot. Yeah. Bad throws, and and when the running game is not working for him, he's gonna he's gonna scramble out, and that brings turnovers and uh, into play, which creates some short fields, like we saw against Pittsburgh last week, or pick six, like we saw against Pittsburgh last week. And uh, both these defenses in general are pretty good at capitalizing on mistakes. All right, so the the last game that you mentioned to me was the. Uh, or is the Saints Bucks? That's going to be one of the biggest matchups of of the week. As of now, in Tampa, they're five point favorite. I'm seeing fifty one and a half on this. Well, what are your? It looks like it went. It's gone down from fifty four and a half to fifty one and a half. But then I don't know where that opening line. How solid that opening line was. Um, and what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I like the Saints. Um, I mean, I would certainly be looking for a, a a six. I don't think you're losing much value in a you know at five and a half, five waiting for a six, it probably won't happen. I, I suspect that the market's going to like the saints as well as we've seen so far, but um, I, I never like, I take look ahead lines with a grain of salt because they're just a look ahead line. There's very small limits, but uh, in most spots, the bucks were four, four and a half look ahead line against the saints. Uh, I thought the bucks, I mean, they came down to the wire against the giants on Monday night football in play a really great game. Uh, and all of a sudden the market is corrected and, um, and, and the numbers shot up a little bit, or at least you're getting a little more value on the saints. I just don't see that much of a discrepancy between these two teams, especially when you consider the lack of home field advantage in football this year, uh, there might not be a home field advantage or like, are we willing to say right now that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are five points better than the new Orleans saints on pretty much a neutral field. I, I don't think anyone can, uh, say that with any sort of confidence whatsoever. Uh, I think the Saints were a little bit lucky in week one against the Bucks earlier this year. I do get that. Uh, but their offense is better than people realize. Uh, a lot of people jump on Drew Brees because he's not throwing the ball downfield a little bit. Uh, he's not throwing the ball downfield a lot. I mean, his air yards is, I think, still the lowest in the league. Uh, I'd have to double check that. But just in general, it's more of a dink and dunk offense. But that doesn't change the fact that it's been a fairly efficient offense. Um, they went up against a very good Bears defense last week, who's top 10 in pretty much every metric that has value in terms of NFL defenses. Um, so the offense might be coming in riding a low, so to speak, uh, with the potential of getting receivers back this week. 
Um, it looks like Michael Thomas is possible to play. Uh, Manuel Sanders possible as well. So all those things work in their favor. I just don't see that much separating these two teams. And this is coming from someone who thinks the Bucks are very good. Like I, I think Tampa deserves to be uh, in that discussion of top NFC team, if not the top NFC team right now. But I cannot get to this uh, distinction between these two teams. Now, I know for not okay it, it went down a bit week week over week but i know for dvoa which is going to weight offense and defense roughly by whatever their contribution is like you're not going to give extra weight to offense as most people would do but they had the bucks going into last week as being a step above most teams i think they're still number one i'm not sure i'd have to check <laughs> if they are or not so that's another question so you're not viewing them as like the the, the best team in the league in that sort of manner and and wh- where would be the difference so for for me, Kansas City is the best team in the league, and it's not yes. remote, not remotely close. I would I would honestly make I would agree with you. Kansas yeah. City probably a field goal favorite against anyone right now on a neutral. Yeah, I think I think that's a, that's around where we have it. Yeah, exactly three points. Yeah, right. So I, I don't. We're think higher on Baltimore though, probably than, than uh, you are. But yeah, be, like I, I I so so we got Kansas City, and then we got this tier of of teams, which I think is probably six teams right now, who I think yeah. I have rated maybe within a point of one another. Four of those teams are in the NFC. So you have Tampa, uh, Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans, and then you have Pittsburgh, Baltimore um, in the AFC. Uh, I couldn't, I don't have my ratings up right in front of me right now, but they're, they're very close together. Depending on the week and how the performance is, those can change and we'll see those change a lot over the course of the year. Um, So I'm buying the bucks. Like I, I, I especially, I do weight offensive offenses more than defenses um, generally in the NFL. Um, but the, it's not like the Bucks have a bad offense. Like they, they don't have an elite offense. They have a very good offense. It's not like um, they're being downgraded a ton for their offense. And that's again, largely without having Godwin and Evans together on their, on the field at, at the same time for the majority of the year, um, which I mean, obviously that's going to be a big factor for them as well. So um, yeah, I mean, for me, Chiefs number one, but I, I'm, I'm a believer in the Bucks. I just, I just don't even know what's going to happen in the NFC between those four teams. And I, I hope it gets to a point where those four teams are playing each other um, to decide who gets to the Super Bowl, because I think we're going to see some really good games if that's the case. Yeah, that would, that would be fantastic. Um, I guess with Michael Thomas uh, and the questions of the position players coming back for the Saints, how do you how do you incorporate that in? Because it's, it's that I think that's one of the more difficult things to do, especially when you have multiple players, because there could be like some sort of synergy effect or something like that. But anyway, so how, how do you look at that? So um, what I do now, uh, and this is the biggest change for me is I can, I, I put an arbitrary percentage on what I think Michael Thomas's chances of playing are, and he's going to mm-hmm. be included in that many simulations. So if I think Michael Thomas is a true coin flip 50, 50, I'll set him at 50% for the game and I'll create my number based off of that. Uh, and then I'd do the same, like if they had cluster injuries at a position, so so Thomas and Sanders, I'd set them both to 50-50, and it's going to be kind of uh, random into what simulations that they end up in and which simulations that they don't. But uh, that's that's how I incorporate it. I think I personally think it's the best way to do it uh, in general, but I, I could also easily just make a number on um, like a worst-case scenario number, which I have for this type of game as well. So if, if Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders are both out for New Orleans, I would still play them. Um, so that's kind of the, a bit into my process. My, my raw number, the first one that I'm going to produce is based on what I actually think is the most likely scenario um, in terms of their realistic probability to play. And I do this for all teams, and it's the most labor-intensive, time-intensive thing that I do on a weekly basis. Um, but I like it, um, and, and I like having some s- sort of control over uh, what I'm doing and adding some element of subjectivity into it where – I think I'm actually a decent predictor at who's going to play and who's not going to just based off of um, research, sadly, like oddly enough, but I, 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 I invest, like that's a difference. Honestly, I invest time into the NFL. I really do. Um, and I think it's what's needed for me to, to have the success that I've had or else I wouldn't do it. But um, whereas somebody might just run a number and bet their numbers and that's fine. And they probably, they might turn a positive ROI, but Maybe they're leaving money on the table doing that. So that's just kind of been my um, MO, I guess. Any idea if you were to rank order positions 
where wide receiver falls as far as the the importance of taking these guys in and in and out especially in an elite player like michael thomas because i think there is um in some analytical circles there's a there's a building idea that wide receivers could be the second most valuable position they're not played as such you know edge defenders are are, are paid like the, the the second most valuable position and especially this last offseason what we saw with with uh with bosa and with miles garrett it's really kind of expanded quite quite a bit there um but maybe maybe how much they're being paid might also be a a reflection of the depth of the position so it could be valuable but deep at wide receiver so how, how do you think about wide receiver um, so I can't give you an exact answer, but I'd say that there's probably a 90% chance that I would have wide receivers being the second most valuable. Position. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I think it's very, very likely um, on average against the league average team, Michael Thomas being out of the lineup uh, for the saints, I'd probably have that worth more than a point right now against the league. Wow. Okay. Um, at least elite receivers are probably in, in, in and around that range. Uh, Odell Beckham was out for Cleveland last week. Uh, I ran the Sims with him being in and him being out. Uh, and I know Higgins has performed well this e- this year specifically, but I, I still had that close to being a one point difference for the Cleveland Browns last week. Uh, probably why I ended up with an edge on the Raiders uh, in general. So, I heard their offense is better without him, though. That's what, that's like that's the what I heard. narratives make they, they make me laugh. Like they really do. Um, but no, I, I agree with that, and I think you're you you nailed it in terms of why the elite uh, pass rushers or, uh, you know, get paid more. And it's just because of the position scarcity in general. Um, whereas there's a, a larger pool of elite receivers than elite pass rushers. And there's a more of a drop off, I guess, from top to bottom, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I certainly would say that my model values receivers. Right, right. Okay, well, let's let, let's get back. There's enough time talking about position players. I, I want to ask some questions about quarterbacks, and specifically, we when we have these backup quarterbacks, we have a situation where backup quarterbacks are playing. So we we had the Ben DiNucci experience last week. It sounds like he's out, and now we have potentially Cooper Rush or well, he's not out, but they're they're not. I heard today that I saw somewhere that Cooper Rush or uh, Garrett gilbert of uh aif fame may be starting there you have in jacksonville uh luton i want to say is his name from from uh washington state sixth round rookie who may be playing there uh typically i I don't maybe we can ask specifically about these these situations i mean we have dallas as a 14 point underdog at pittsburgh and then uh the jaguars are a seven point underdog I'm not sorry, Dallas at home, uh, a 14-point underdog, and then the Jaguars are a seven-point underdog at home against the Texans. So maybe if you have thoughts specifically about those, but just generally when we have these, you're adding this huge degree of uncertainty to a game, do you have an overarching philosophy on on staying away or or thinking, well, this is, this provides opportunity in a in a sport which has fewer edges. This may be something where you can actually derive an edge. Potentially. So I think the latter is true. If you're really keeping your pulse on the college scene in general, which I can't say is true of me. I don't watch a a ton of college football in general. There are probably people that have watched Luton play um, maybe a dozen games of, of college football that can give you a pretty accurate assessment of what they think of him as a quarterback um, or Ben DiNucci or whatever. It doesn't matter what the example is. So that's not something that I'm privy to or confident in making an assessment of a college football player. Um, I don't have a really good way of accounting for this. I do look at historicals. Uh, so quarterbacks that are drafted in uh, similar positions, I remove outliers like Tom Brady, for example, uh, who was a late round draft pick that turned out to be the best quarterback of all time. Um, and then I kind of apply that to the model, but I get some funky numbers doing that sometimes. So I don't really trust that process. Uh, another thing that I've, I've really started to do over the last couple of years and what I especially find valuable is just to run the game with the quarterback that was expected to the quarterback that got injured. So for example, what I've done with Jacksonville and Houston this week is ran the game as if Gardner Minshew is starting. And what would my number be on that game? Uh, Which I got Houston by a median of, I think close to six and a half. Um, So I ended up betting Houston minus six and a half earlier this week, because um, there is an element of uncertainty with Luton, but 
is he going to come in and be Gardner Minshew right away? And I'm not saying Gardner Minshew is good. He's a below average quarterback. I think I have him ranked somewhere in the 25th out of 35 qualifying quarterbacks this year, uh, somewhere around there. But the likelihood of Luton being worse than Minshew for me is high. So I'm comfortable in, I think, at the worst case scenario, I'm coin flipping. I think like worst case scenario, Luton comes in and he's maybe tops out at what Gardner Minshew is. Um, So that's kind of my process there. I do tend to avoid those games in general. I had an edge on Miami last week. I didn't end up playing it. In hindsight, I probably should have, but um, yeah. Well, that was was a little bit of a weird game, but yeah. It was a weird game, but I I think people might be down on Miami going forwards because of it, saying like, oh, like, look at these yardage totals, and we didn't really see anything out of the Miami offense, but they were never really in a position where the offense had to show you anything last week. Like, they were playing from such a positive game state for the entire game um, that I might actually – I'm probably higher on market than Miami, uh, higher than market on Miami right now than others. But yeah, that just in general, that's kind of, I I have no exact science in valuing these backup quarterbacks. I try to do what, again, I try to just apply logic to the problem and say, this makes logical sense to me. So I'm going to go with it. Um, But it's, it's pretty rare that I'm involved on, on games with these backups. Yeah. And this, I mean, I, I'm just I'm just somewhat intrigued by this <laughs> by this Pittsburgh uh, Dallas game just because 14 points. I mean, I know we, the the road thing doesn't really matter that much. I'll give you that, but the Pittsburgh offense. I mean, you know, it's it, it, it could get a lot better against the Dallas de- defense than it has looked. But it's not the Chiefs. I guess this is kind of like approaching Jets Chiefs territory when you think about the flipping of the home field and you know and, and things like that. But I wouldn't put Pittsburgh nearly as close. Is there any is there anything that that you can look at and say, well, it's you know th- th- this is just high that I could you could you could is there any is there any any way you could ever get to a number you're saying I could kind of assume that that this would be a profitable bet um, just because it's so dramatic. Um, yes, but I've gone down that path in the past, right? Like like the, the year the Browns. I lost every game and I don't know, they covered like four of those games. I was consistently right. value in the Browns. I'm like, I got to stop doing this to myself. And, um, and I'm kind of, I'm just kind of there with bad teams in general. I don't, I don't have a sticky note here, but I, I, I like, I, I like to write myself notes that I kind of see around my office is kind of like a uh, Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind with you know, <laughs> his, his shack or whatever. And he's got all the clippings on the wall, but that's like me. Here's my, you know, trust the process one that I have over here. And um, one of them that's around is don't bet on bad teams. Um, And it's kind of something that I stick by because like, it's just been like, when you have this, this sample of hundreds bordering on thousands of games of NFL bets um, over the years, and then you just find a, this negative ROI that stands out like immediately when you start to filter um, and it's, and it's these, these bad teams and like, why am I doing this to myself? And I, I keep feeling like, yeah, there might be value here, but there's probably not like, what, is, what is Dallas's path to success on offense against the Pittsburgh defense? Um, I don't know how, I'm not sure how they score. Like I, I, I'm not even exaggerating. Maybe they catch, there's some sort of element of surprise with the Cowboys offense, but the, the offensive line, they're down their left tackle, their center, their right tackle. It's not like they, they're going up against the best defensive front in the entire league. I don't know what they can run offensively unless the Steelers have completely mailed in this game. Like they've been sipping champagne bottles all week because they beat the Ravens. And like, I I just don't know where the path to success is there. So I've kind of just gone down the path of, again, uh, I'll reiterate it over and over. Just um, I, I would very much just strictly play the numbers in the past where now I have, like, I can't make a logical argument for Dallas. I, I don't know. I couldn't take the. I don't know what number you'd have to give me to bet Dallas this week. There's there's a price that everyone should have to to bet any side of either game. Um, I probably have one with Dallas, but I'll, I'll tell you, fourteen isn't it. <laughs> okay. Well, and okay. So another game that's interesting from a uh, modeling perspective 
is the this Thursday night game, if only because you talked about running these scenarios with players in or out of out of the game. I mean, we can just go through here. You know, no Jimmy Garoppolo, no George Kittle, no Aaron Jones, probably no Jamal Williams, no uh, Alan Lazard, no I believe still Debo Samuel, uh, Tevin Coleman. Uh, is there anyone else I'm missing? AJ <laughs> Dillon. <laughs> Uh, contracted COVID apparently today. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Kendrick Bourne is now out. So they, they just, they cut Dante Pettis, not that he mattered, but they really don't have anyone. So like in this scenario, do, do things just start to break down? If you're just, if you're like assuming so many players who've just not, who are being elevated into a role that they would never touch unless it was in this type of circumstance. Well, uh, there, there's a lot of very difficult things to account for and model for. That's probably the one of the toughest is the, the cluster injury situations at a specific position. I've already had to deal with that with San Fran once this year, when pretty much their entire secondary was out at one point, I think they had four of their top five cornerbacks and both starting safeties out uh, a couple weeks ago. And they actually still ended up winning that game, um, which was against the Rams, I believe, but it, it's, it's challenging. Um, again, I would say, I have very little confidence in that process. I try to do what I think is right and apply logic to the problem. Uh, but this week is definitely a shit show for that game in particular. Um, I'm holding a Green Bay minus two ticket, um, which I collected. So I was heavily invested with Seattle and San Fran on Sunday watching the game. Saw Jimmy G go to the locker room. Saw George Kittle leave the game. Quickly saw to see checked everywhere I could to see if there was a look ahead. Um, there was a couple PPHs posting it, uh, prominent offshore with thousand dollar limits would allow you to keep betting after every minute. So I actually got down a decent amount of money on green Bay minus two. Um, but I actually think that the, and this is something I pointed out with Seattle last week as well. I think the running back injuries, the cluster running back injuries for the green Bay Packers work to their advantage because it might force them into a more pass-heavy offensive game plan. Um, and I think we saw that with Seattle last week. They, they have a tendency to uh, pass more, especially early on in the first quarter, but they really realized they could do whatever they wanted in the passing game, and there was no point handing the ball off to a you know, fourth-string running back. Um, and I think that worked to their benefit. I think you'll probably see the same against for Green Bay this week. Heavy pass uh, passing offense against a pretty depleted defense. Um, I think probably anything short of seven uh, is a short price for, for the Packers this week. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's kind of like the logical place you can get to, although like you mentioned, it's, it's a little bit of a, of a mess over there. Um, you know, I'm looking through, I don't know if I see anything that I find that interesting, although I was, I did think this this uh, Washington football team Giants game was at least a somewhat a little bit interesting for the fact that I'm seeing Washington as a as a three point favorite there. You have any opinion on the Giants? Because um, just because Daniel Daniel Jones like turnover machine, right? And it's been pretty consistent, but I don't know. Some part of me is just <laughs> thinks that well, if he doesn't, if he's not a turnover machine, they might be good because he actually hasn't been that bad. At least how we've graded him, the points just haven't been there as you, as you would have hoped they would have been there based upon how well he's played. Anyway, I, I, I guess I, I have this I have this feeling that I that I kind of think like the Giants, at least offensively, maybe are not as bad as as they've played, but no no real confidence in that take. I guess. Well, I don't think the, their offensive coordinator is is necessarily uh, putting <laughs> Daniel Jones in the in the best yeah. place to succeed, uh, and that's a, a challenge for. I'm not high on Daniel Jones. Like, I don't think right. Jones is one of those guys that's going to go to another team or a, a change of setting that's going to all of a sudden, you know, he's going to turn into the quarterback that they expected him to be when he's drafted first round. Um, like Sam Darnold might be that guy as an example with the Jets. I'm not convinced he is either, but. Um, I, I look at this game in particularly, I have reluctantly bet on the giants this week. Uh, I know I told you about the, I don't bet on, I don't bet on bad teams. I'm playing another bad team. Um, right. what, what is separating Washington and the giants right now? Like you can make a case that one is marginally better than the other. Uh, I admittedly don't love the matchup of, of the, uh, Washington defensive line against the giants offensive line. I think that's a mismatch, but um, that's back. That's factored into my simulation anyways. So it's not like I can't say I haven't accounted for that. 
I just, I don't know. To me, this is like a, a game that should be maybe a one point spread. Um, and I've reluctantly bet on the Giants. Um, I yeah, think, yeah. I, I might regret it. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I get, I get, I can see that. Um, yeah, it's it's, it's kind of weird. You're you're just like, well, I just hope there's no, like he doesn't fumble basically at <laughs> the pocket, and then and then you're okay. You're almost like rooting for what should be a freaky event not to happen, but he's like so consistently does that that it makes it difficult to 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 root against him. But you know, the Washington offense is just as likely to turn the ball over. I mean, there's that's true. Kyle Allen's done that a lot of fumbling in his life. Yeah. So um, I, yeah, I mean. Aside from Washington having the extra prep and the Giants having played Monday night football, which is not even as big a factor as people believe it is, um, I, I just there's not much separating those two teams at all. Um, so, yep, that's uh, let's hope the Giants don't go down in flames, but it's it's definitely not a game that I'm going to be interested in watching on Sunday. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's hope. Um, luckily, that's an early game, so we can we can drown it out with some uh, with some of the other stuff there. Well. Uh, Rob, I appreciate you taking the time today, going through the slate. Um, everyone should be following Rob on Twitter at Rob Pozzola. You do some, is, is the Periscope's a regular thing or is that like a, a ad hoc sort of thing that you're doing? So I do, uh, I do a Periscope every Sunday morning, 11 a.m., um, raising money for diabetes research. So I, I'm type 1 diabetic myself. Uh, it's a cause that's important to me. I, I don't get paid to do the periscopes, but people love them and they seem to find value in them. Uh, I was going to stop them before last year and I tweeted something publicly about not doing them. And I got so many messages uh, that I said, okay, I'll do it, but I'll, I'll try to raise money for a good cause here. So um, if anyone enjoys the content that I do, whether it's on the periscopes or, or anything else, really, I do have donation links pinned to my Twitter profile. Um, and if anyone finds value in the content, then just donate what you can, uh, because it's going to a good cause. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, I definitely do. I'll be checking that out. And of course, anyone enjoy what they heard here today, uh, go check out Rob and, 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 and do all that. Uh, otherwise, uh, that wraps it up for this week and I appreciate everyone listening, rate review the pod. And otherwise I'll be talking with you next week. Thanks.